You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. All right, Acts chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be here in just a second. Acts chapter 4. Let me pray as we get into the text today. Uh, I really am eager to ask the Lord's blessing upon us that we not just hear this word, but we'd understand it and apply it to our lives. This is a game changer for your life and for our church, so we can't miss it. And so uh, let me get on my knees and uh, call upon the Lord to do uh, what only he can. God, what an awesome privilege it is today to gather as your people and simply to proclaim the name of Jesus through song. God, I pray as we worshiped our heart outs today that, that our, our songs would have reached your ears and brought a smile to your, eye, to your face, Lord, and, a, and, and just been a beautiful sound in your ears. God, I pray that you would have seen in our hearts the reality that we love you as Lord and Savior. We don't just talk about you as, as Jesus. We love you, God, and we're so thankful for all that you are and all that you've done in us. God, I pray today that that as we uh, open up your word and we study your word and we hear your word, Father, I pray that you would, again, speak to us so loudly and so clearly. God, we came today, uh, not just to do an hour of church, not just to sing a few songs and get a nice little message to be on our way, but instead, God, we came to hear the voice of the living God and to know you, to know your ways, and to know how we can live our lives to the fullest for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so, God, as we open up your word today, I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray you'd convict us. We need convicting, encourage us, Lord. We need encouraging. But ultimately, God, I pray that you'd draw every heart here into a deeper relationship with yourself through this message. God, we pray these prayers because we depend upon you so much. We know that, that everything we long for in our hearts can only come from you. Any, anything we long to see you do can only ultimately come by a divine act of the Father. And so, God, we open up ourselves to you today again, and we say, Holy Spirit, come and teach us and move us and shape us according to your will and for your glory. We love you, Lord, and we're so thankful that we can be here together with uh, our brothers and sisters uh, with your word in freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Acts chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 23 today, but before we get to that, let me ask you a question. Uh, Consider your own life. What do you do when you come up against it? Every one of us has a natural propensity in how we deal with adversity. What is your natural propensity in, in how you deal with situations where you feel yourselves uh, backed up into a corner and the world is pressing in on you? People are opposing you. Circumstances are piling up on you. The bad news comes and life just gets hard. How do you handle that? Generally, there's two types of people in the world, two types of people in this room. Uh, the first group is a group that's like, oh yeah, hardship comes. I'm going to power over it. I'm going to suck it up, I'm going to buck up, I'm going to strong arm my way through, and, and I'm going to put my fists up, and we're going to fight this thing to the end, and I'm going to conquer it. And so when people, that's how we face adversity, we're like, you know what, nothing's going to take me down, I'm going to power over it. Others of us are quite the opposite of that, we're like the peace out people. We're like, oh man, it's hard, it's hard, what am I going to do? I'm going to run for the hills. We're like Chicken Little, like the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And we want to run to our little rooms, we want to curl up in a ball and hope it all goes away. Or, or even before we get there, we throw in the proverbial towel and we start a little pity, par- pity party. And man, life gets hard. We back down and we give up. Wh- which one are you? Generally, there's two people in the world. Which, in your own heart, which one are you? Are you the power over it or are you the peace out? There's actually a third way that God calls us to handle hardships and adversities. There's a right way, and neither of those are the proper way to do it. And the right way is this way. It's the pray hard way. We all know that it's not good to try power over. It doesn't work. We get frustrated and discouraged. We can't do it anyways. We all know that running away is never the best option because hardships are going to fall us wherever we go. So what do we do? God calls us to be people who, who pray hard, the posture of prayer to lead us and guide us in all circumstances of life. In fact, the third option, the, the pray hard option, the posture of prayer, is the only option where we will truly see and experience the full presence and the full power of God in everything in life. So by the end of this message, I pray that you are on God's plan, the posture three, the prayer plan, uh, and as you leave this place today and start to interact with the world and face all that is going to come to you this coming week. In fact, that's the plan that the disciples took. That's the plan that the early church took. They didn't uh, power over it. They didn't peace out. They prayed hard when it came to adversity. 
So we've been away from Acts for a couple weeks. I want to remind you where we've been. Uh, Acts chapter 3, remember Peter and John were on their way to the temple, met this lame beggar whom God said, stop and heal him. And this guy was miraculously healed and then uh, turned into an evangelistic crusade. Remember Peter's preaching and 5,000 men came to know Jesus Christ. It was one of those euphoric moments for the church. of like, wow, look at all that God's doing. And then, of course, what happens next? Opposition, Remember? The Sadducees rise up, the religious of the day, and they're like, what? Jesus talk? We can't have this. Like, they rose up that God's people were then shut up was their plan. Brought Peter and John before this little tribunal, their own little kangaroo court, and realized they had done nothing wrong. So like good bullies do, like they haven't done anything wrong. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Why don't we threaten them, send them on their way? So that's what they did. They uh, filled them up with a whole lot of threats and said, okay, like don't preach Jesus, stop this stuff, and, and they, or else... Then they sent them on their way. And so then we see Peter and John. What do they do next? What do they do next? This is where we left the story. So what do they do next? Are they going to power over this? Are they they going to run away from this? No, they actually pray hard through this. We see Peter and John not putting in the church, not putting on boxing gloves with a fight plan. They're not lacing up their sneakers with a flight plan. Instead, they're putting on their knee pads and getting in on God's plan for their lives. And this is really the whole book of Acts. This book of Acts is is teaching us and showing us that this is the appropriate and the powerful response of God's people to whatever comes our way in life. Prayer is, according to the book of Acts, the spark that lights the wick of the fireworks of God's activity in his people and his church. Prayer is a spark that lights the wick of fireworks of God's activity in his people and in his church. And if we want to be an unstoppable church, we want to be a people with audacious faith, we have to learn what it means to truly pray and know the presence and the power of God uh, through our prayers. So read with me just the first few verses. I'm not going to read the whole thing right out today. We're going to go through it step by step and, and keep some suspense in this story of what happens next. So verse 23. Subtitle, the believers pray, keyword, circle that one, pray for boldness, underline boldness. And so when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Put yourself in this context. So here's the church. Things are happening. All of a sudden, their two disciples, the two leaders are hauled off to court and you're sitting there going like, what's going on in there? There's no seating gallery, right? What's going on in there? The, the, the anticipation, the nervousness. And so Peter and John, as soon as they get released, they run to their friends and they tell them all that's going on, all that had happened. Actually, here's the deal. They, they said we can't preach anymore. They, they said if we, if we continue on, we're going to get beaten or maybe killed. And, and can you imagine being in that place of like, okay, here's our leaders. Like there's all kinds of things swirling through their heads. What are we going to do? Don't you love what they do? instinctively, without thinking about it, without having a little vote on it. So let's call a church vote. What should we do next? Look what they did. They reported what the chief priests and elders said to them. When they heard this, when the people heard this, when the news reached their ears, the reality of where they actually found themselves, it's going to be a hard go for the church in a culture opposed to God. They did this. They instinctively lifted their voices together to God. A fancy way to say this. They prayed. They prayed. They they called a prayer meeting and they gathered all the people in and started to call out to the Lord. They didn't work harder. They didn't come up with a plan to solve this thing. They didn't rally up a petition to be down with the Sadducees or even crumple in despair. Instead, they chose to actively depend on the only one who could actually do anything about their situation. And they prayed. But I don't think it was a prayer meeting like, like we would think of prayer meeting. You know, it says here when they gathered together, they lifted their voices together. When it says together, it means that they all came. In other words, this church is about 10,000 people by now. So as the word spread, what they did is they, they what are we going to do? Let's gather in homes and let's pray like we've never prayed before. And so when it says they gathered together and lifted their voices, you know what I think they were doing? I think they were truly lifting their voices in prayer. It wasn't like... Sometimes how we associate prayer with little circles that are kind of quiet and gentle, you know, those little kind of prayer circles that we kind of picture. I don't think they're praying like the, the, the lunchtime prayers and the bedtime prayers. You know, the lunchtime prayers are like, dear Jesus, please bless this food and thank you for this day and I hope nobody sees amen. They were praying the bedtime prayers. I don't think that we have maybe come accustomed to in our homes of like, okay, what are we going to pray for tonight, kids? Pray for grandpa and grandma and and auntie and uncle and pray for health and safety. And you know the types of prayers that sometimes we get in the habit of just mindlessly 
routinely praying? Here's what I picture as I read this. I picture like urgency. I picture like, what are we going to do? We have only one recourse. Let's get in a room. Let's get off of our chairs. Let's call out to God like it really matters. Let's get on our knees and let's call to God. Like if God doesn't show up, we're done. It's over. We can't do this thing on our own. And so I picture like a room this size packed with people, but, but not quiet prayers. Like prayers just like resounding, calling out as people call to God, resounding throughout the place with loud beckons to the Lord. In fact, this is a type of prayer that we see often through the book of Acts. This is, this is a type of prayer that God calls us to if we're going to know the fullness of his presence and the fullness of power in our lives. Acts is such a great book because here's what it does. It puts into practice Jesus' teaching on prayer. In the Gospels, Jesus was telling everyone how to pray. When he went, they gave them opportunity to pray. And so the, the, the book of Acts is the, the kind of transition book of the New Testament. It's the first time we see actually the believers fulfilling Christ's teaching on prayer. And the whole book of Acts only happens because of the power of prayer. Just the way that believers today are only alive and functioning. Why churches today are only alive and functioning is because of the power of prayer. Get this in the book of Acts. The church was born in an atmosphere of prayer in Acts 1.14. It was actually through the prayers of God's people that the church was born. In answer to prayer, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church in Acts 2. Prayer was the church's heartbeat in Acts 2.42. When they gathered together, they weren't just high-fiving and having fellowship socials. They were actually praying urgently. Prayer was directly related to the Spirit's presence and powers going to here by the end of this passage. Prayer was the gag reflux of Christians in times of crisis. Prayer was actually the defining quality of church leaders. How do you know if you're qualified to be a church leader? You are one who understood what it meant to really pray. In fact, prayer was the norm among the believers in the early church. It wasn't like, well, I'm a believer and I don't pray. It wasn't like, well, do, you, do some believers pray, do some not? No, everybody who's a believer just instinctively prayed. What is Prayer. I think sometimes we've made it some religious thing that it is not meant to be in God's eyes. Here's what prayer is. Here's, here's what I mean by it. the believer just naturally prayed. Prayer is any form of communication on the part of believing people in response to any situation that arises from life. Prayer is any form of communication with God on the part of believing people in response to situations that arise in life. Prayer is not being the holy spiritual one to say, you know, put the right aura on. <clears throat> Or the holy voice. It's not prayer. Or having the right sentence structure. Let's, let's rack my brain for all my theological terms that I can bring out to impress everybody around me. That's actually not prayer that, that God calls his people to. The prayer of the Bible is simply this. It's, it's pouring out your heart to God. Communicating with God. With an urgency and anticipation that God will hear and answer your prayers. Prayers can involve worship. Just simply telling God how awesome he is. Intercession, asking God, God, you need to intercede in this on behalf of. Prayers of agreement, prayers of petition, asking God for things, prayers of confession. God, I've sinned, please forgive. Prayers of salvation, oh God, save. Prayers of faith. In this context, it's a prayer of intercession saying, noted by sincere asking, saying, Oh, God, they're not lifting their voices together for any other reason to say, God, we need you desperately right now. And notice that it's community-focused, not individual-focused. We often think, we're going to go back and pray about that. Actually, it was God's people coming together to pray about things. And honestly, it's something that I believe we need to have as an instinct in our lives if we're fully going to get the full power of God, the full power of prayer in our hearts. Here's the first point I want you to write down. The power is right here on the screen. The power of prayer comes alive in my life when I intentionally seek him first. The power of prayer comes alive in my life when I intentionally seek God's first. Here is where the believers are showing us what it is to truly know the full presence of full power of God. I believe we know these truths. I don't believe I'm telling you anything new to you today, but in our own sinfulness, in our own human nature, you know what our propensity is when things come up? Our propensity is to run to everybody else but God and use God as a last option. And then we scratch our heads and say, well, how come there's no power in my prayers? Ever been there? I find that being my natural propensity sometimes. 
Get all panicked, get your eyes on the situation. Who can I call? Who can I give advice from? Get advice from? Where can I? You know what God wants for us? To know the fullness of his presence and power? To know the fullness of what it really is to have a, a vibrant prayer life? He wants us to, our first instinct to run to him in prayer like the early church. Do you realize that God has wired each of us with an innate desire as his children to want to run to him first? The Holy Spirit in us, when something happens, the Holy Spirit in us, at least at some time in the process, first thing he wants us to do, he prompts us to do, is to run to God in prayer. And God delights when his children run to him in prayer. I've watched the same principle play out in my three kids in a, in a physical way. You know, I don't tell them when scary times come or when hard times come, you come and find daddy and dad will take care of you. I've, I might have told them a few times, but I, I never told them that from the very beginning when they were little babies. Like, you know, come find daddy. But I'm amazed that all three of them, they're all so different. You know Zach, he's you know, a little teenage guy now. You know, you know Maya, she's a little wiry one that's all over the map. And some of you don't know Nick yet. He's just as, just as rascally as Maya. He's in a different way. But I've been watching them all grow up. And you know what they, they, they have in common? There's a lot of difference. You know what they have in common? That something out of the ordinary catches them off guard. They all have the same natural instinct. Find dad and mom. I watch Zach do it even still. He's now grade seven. He wouldn't like me telling you this, but he gets scared sometimes. And you know his first response is like, Dad! I watch Maya. We're out someplace and loud noises scare her and, and fingers in her ears, but fingers in her ears. And you know what she's doing? Their fingers in her ears. She's looking around like, where's my dad? Where's my dad? Where's my mom? <laughs> Nestling in right close. Nicholas, same thing. I watched him at our house the other day and a loud noise came and he started like, you know, the little lip started quivering. He's looking around, looking around straight to his mom. Something inside of us that God has placed within us knows that where we ought to run first and foremost in times of difficulty is to our heavenly father in the same way that earthly kids run to their earthly parents. And God delights in that. God's not intimidated by this prayer of like these voices raising to him. God wants us to be in that place where we're not trying to solve things on our own. We're not trying to figure it out. We're coming to him for what, only what he can give us. Let me ask you this question about your own prayer life. Is this your natural instinct in your life to run to God in prayer? We talk about prayer a lot. We preach about prayer a lot. We have a lot of good things to say about prayer. But in your own life, let's be honest, what is your natural propensity? Is it, is it to, to run to your father into, into prayer or to latch on to everything and anything else before you come to God? If it's to come to the father, you know the fullness of the power of prayer. If it's not, you're going to be missing out on what God has for you in this life. Why is God so intense that we come to him in prayer? Why has he wired us as believers in a way that we're going to look for our father whenever something goes off and goes wrong? Because there's three things that, that God gives us through prayer that, that only God can give us. Prayer is the means to appropriate the power of God in our lives. Here's, here's what prayer does. You, you can't miss this. As you think about being a, a man of prayer, a woman of prayer, as you think about being a church of prayer, you have to know these three things. If you don't know these three things, you probably won't pray. Get this, prayer is God's appointed way to resist and defeat the ultimate enemy, Satan. The only way we can have victory is through. God knows that. You can't fight the enemy on our own, on your own. We can't fight the enemy on our own strength. And so God's ordained it in a way that when we come to him in prayer, he defeats the enemy for us. Number two, prayer is God's appointed means to Draw us into his presence. No matter what's going on in your life more than anything, you know what God wants? He wants you close to him. Even the difficulties, you know what God wants? He wants even more to solve your problems. He wants you close to him. How do we get close to God? Through the power of prayer. Don't miss these important things in your life. Don't miss these important things in our church. Number three, prayer is God's appointed way for us to obtain what we need from him. Think of all the spiritual resources that God offers us that we so often leave on the table because we're too proud to pray. And yet when we come to God in prayer, he simply opens up the storehouse. He says, all these spiritual resources, they are yours in Jesus Christ. This is why prayer is paramount in your life. This is why prayer is paramount in our church. We can't skip over. Well, this is a prayer sermon. We already know about prayers. So we'll skip it over. We can't skip over these sermons. 
And this is why God invites us to pray and commands us to pray without ceasing. When we pray, it's like turning on the faucet of God's presence and God's provision and God's power. Are you turning the faucet on in your own life? No, really, are you turning it on? Are you just kind of flipping it on to get a little dribble out? Is your life marked by urgent prayer or apathetic prayer? When things go down in your life in our church, would you fit with the early church or would you be the outside standing like, what are you guys praying for? What are these silly prayer meetings once a month? Like, what are they all about? Or would you be like, would you be eager? Like, I know we need to pray. I know that's where the joy is and where the blessing is. When people come to you for advice, are you quick to give what you think or are you quick to point them to their knees and point them to Jesus Christ? Here's the deal. The posture of an audacious faith, the posture of an unstoppable church is not, it's not fists up. It's not fleeing. It's prayer. In fact, Oswald Chambers says this, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. So we hired you for, pastor, to pray. Eh. Collectively, as a body, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. You want the fullness of the power of God in your life? Start praying urgently and expectantly. How do you pray? Glad you asked. Here's what it says next. Here's how we pray to unleash the power of God in our lives. I pray actively trusting in his supremacy. Power of prayer comes in my life when I pray actively trusting in his supremacy or his sovereignty. So what I'm praying would be our natural instinct that we'd be a people who, my own life, my own family, your own life, your own family, our church family, we'd just be a people who, who eagerly come together and pray so we can know the fullness of what God has for us. But when we come together and we pray, we, we realize that we're, we're praying to the God of the universe. We're not just praying to a, a small one of the gods. We're praying to the God of heaven and earth. The early church doesn't just tell us to pray. The early church shows us how we ought to pray. And I love the first words that come out of the lips of this massive, it's not a little prayer gathering, it's a massive prayer gathering. Here's the first thing they said together. So, so they, they said these two words. Look at verse 24. What are they? Sovereign Lord. Notice in the midst of this, this whole uh, dilemma, this whole debacle with, with the church moving forward and, and what's going to happen, the first thing they do is they get on their faces, they call it and say, oh, sovereign Lord. It's not even the same as like a dear Jesus. You're like, so what? I start my prayers with dear Jesus. It's not really the same as a dear Jesus. This is a, this is a, a sovereign Lord. You know what this actually means? It means absolute master. On my face, oh, absolute master of the universe. Isn't that a crazy way to start your prayer? It's a sweet way to start your prayer. Actually, this term is only used five times in the New Testament. seldom used. It's sort of like up here. I think it's even less seldom used in the church today. I think one of the reasons we lack in our prayer lives is because we've lost a high view of God. And so we come to God in, in prayer. We've, we've made such an effort to, to make him uh, on our level, per se, and, and, and the, the imminence of Christ, the closeness of Christ, the closeness of God, that, that we've forgotten to highlight the transcendence of God, the otherness of God, the, the look at the awesomeness of God. And so then when we come to pray, you know why we lack power in our prayer lives? Because we're, we're, we're praying like we're just talking to our buddy next door. You don't need to be restored in our hearts. You don't need to be restored in our church. Is a, is a supremacy of God, an absolute master. I'm coming to the absolute master of the universe when I pray. God is not your little buddy next door who gives out good advice. He is actually the king of the universe. Almighty God himself who is far above all ruler and authority and power and dominion. Amen? You're allowed to amen me once in a while so I know you're still there. But you know what? Your, your view of God is going to determine how powerful your prayer life is. Low view of God, it's going to be struggling and stagnant and stale. High view of God, it changes everything about prayer. Privilege, joy. They pray, our sovereign Lord. 
Look what's next. Who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You know what they're doing? They're reminding themselves of God's power. When we come to pray, this is a great thing to do for us too, just to remind ourselves of the power of God. Sometimes I think we, we pray and, and we, we pray to a small God, we pray to a weak God, but that's not God at all. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is all powerful. How awesome is he? How powerful is he? Look what it says here. He, they, they, they remind themselves that I am praying right now to, to the God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Remember how all that stuff came about in Genesis? The, 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 the whole creation story? If that doesn't make you stop and like, wow, God is powerful, I'm not sure what will. I'm going through Genesis right now with my son just in our own little discipleship time. And we started a few weeks ago in Genesis chapter 1. Hadn't read it in a while. Again, I was struck with a, wow, this is a profound story. Think about it. There was nothing. The earth was formless and void. And God actually spoke light into the darkness. How did he do it? He spoke light into the darkness. That's pretty powerful. I set my mind to creating a lot of things and I don't come up with that. And then you know what he did? He, he created the heavens and the earth. That he, 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 he separated the heavens from the earth. And then he, he took all the seas and clustered them together, all the dry land and clustered it over here. And then he produced vegetation, every living thing, every plant, every species of flower. He created all those things with a word. And then he filled the oceans, all kinds of reptiles and sea creatures and everything else. And then, then he filled the land with, with every kind of species of animal you see out there. God spoke all that into being. And then the seven and a half or eight billion people on this earth, every single one in all of our uniqueness, where did we come from? God spoke us into being. Parents had a part in it, but God spoke us into being. Sometimes think that our prayer lives lack because we forget the power of the person that we are praying to, don't you? One of my favorite chapters of the Bible is Isaiah 40. In those times I get discouraged, those times I get down, I'm like, is, is God big enough to hear my prayer? Is God big enough to answer my prayer? Just flip your Bibles to Isaiah 40 if you're ever at that place, and you'll see a picture of God that is second to none in the Bible. I love it. It, it again, inspires me to like, oh yeah, I can pray to this God because there's nothing impossible for God. He's a God, according to Isaiah 40, who sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. The nations, all the nations are like grasshoppers compared to him. Put all the kings together and they can't, they can't take over God. He didn't just speak the universe. He even put the stars in place and called them all by name. That's pretty phenomenal. I can't remember half of your names. I try so hard. Then it paints a picture of, of God holding all the, the, the waters of the, 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 the earth in the palm of his hand. Think about how much water my palm holds. Not enough to make a thirsty man quench a thirsty man's thirst. And yet, all of them put together, picture the hand that would hold all the waters together, uh, all the great lakes and all the seas together, and then look at the hand, look at the body behind the hand. This is how big your God is. So big that his hand measures the, the breadth of the heavens. Put a hand up, picture one end of the sky to the other, and picture a hand, a giant hand. That's the hand of God that hears every one of your prayers. Isn't that phenomenal? It's God that changes everything when I understand who he is and how big he is. Do you pray to a big God or a small God? It matters. It changes how we pray. God's not just big, though. God's not just powerful. He's also a God who's in complete control. Here's, here's what the passage goes on to say. This is the bulk of the passage. Notice, notice this already. They're not even asking for anything yet. They're not asking for anything in this passage. Their, their prayers are focused on the greatness and the grandness of God. Not only is my God all-powerful, he's also a God who's in complete control. Who through the mouth of our servant David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of God. This is important in our prayers. Circle verse 28. The people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. 
The next part of this prayer simply emphasizes the sovereignty of God. And they're, they're looking at their circumstance going like, man, this is hard, God. But, but let's remind ourselves that this didn't catch you off guard. Let's remind ourselves again that we can pray with confidence because none of this is a surprise to you. None of this is beyond your realm. Take, for example, Psalm 2. This is a quote of Psalm 2. Israel's day used to put a king in. All the other kings around would come and pay homage to the king. Some would refuse to pay homage to the king. And what a joke that is, right? Like God's predestined this king. You think you're going to somehow take this king off the throne that God's put there? What a joke. Remind ourselves that God is sovereign. Jesus came. This is what this thing the pastor is saying, right? Jesus came and he, he was anointed by God. Herod and Pontius Pilate and all their other motley crew of guys. And they're thinking like, we're not going to put up with this. We're going to kill him. They only killed him to find that that just caused him to come back to life and truly reign supreme. And in every case, it was always predestined that those things would happen. Was not beyond God's realm? Could God have saved Jesus from death? Absolutely. But God organized and ordained it all that it would happen for our good and his glory. And so this is a reminder of God's people to say, really? If everything worked out in David's day, if everything worked out for Jesus Christ, then surely God will work this all out for our benefit as well. In their prayers, they're not getting worked up. They're not jumping to despair. They're just saying, God, this is obviously all predestined by you. We know that people can only do what your power allows them, and they can plot in vain. They can do whatever they're going to do. They can come with their idle threats. It's, it's all for nothing. If you want this church to go, if you want my life to stand, you will make it happen. And so, so they're just focusing their minds and their hearts on the sovereignty of God. I think sometimes we miss the power of prayer because we forget that God is sovereign. We forget that God is sovereign. Oh God, you've forgotten me now. This circumstance is crazy. It's way out of control now. Isn't it good just to remember that God is sovereign even in the hardest times of life, even when things seem so backwards, God is sovereign? Isn't it good to remember that nothing happens that doesn't first pass by the desk of God for his approval in our lives and in our church? When we get these two realities, we get the, the, the power of God and the sovereignty of God. You know what it creates in us? This desire to pray with urgency and expectation. This, this, this eagerness and this expectation to pray like we've never prayed before. It's not a like, oh, oh wow, I guess, I guess we should pray. I guess it's the right Christian thing to do and pray. In this. No, it's like, man, I, I want to pray right now because God is all-powerful and, and because, because God is sovereign and whatever's going to happen is going to happen so I can just come to him in complete trust and complete lay myself up before him believing that he's going to hear and answer my prayers in, in the exact way I need and the exact timing I need. That's an encouragement to you today. God wants us to come to him. with expectation and eagerness in the same way that, again, our kids come to us. My kids have taught me a lot about life and they've taught me a lot about how I'm supposed to relate to God is one of the things they've taught me. And I love every stage. You learn something new. But one of my favorite stages is the stage that Nick is getting at right now where, where he's kind of like in that, in that little kid stage, still can't quite talk yet, but still in that stage where they still think their dad's awesome and their dad can do anything, you know? Kind of miss that stage in Zach. Zach's now is like, hey, do you want me to help Zach? You can't fix that, dad. When he was a kid, here's how Zach used to be when he was a kid. No matter what would happen, the first place he'd look for, the first person he'd look to is his dad to fix whatever happened. He was one of those kids that liked those little, those little Tonka trucks, you know, those little like Hot Wheels cars. And he'd line them up. He was like so organized. He'd line them up in a straight row and no one could touch them. In case you messed up his little line. But every once in a while in his excitement, he'd step on one of those cars. You know those, little, those cars, they, they jam the wheels right up into the, the bottom of the car, and then you can't fix those guys? I remember one time he stepped on a car trying to defend it probably from me or something, you know, because they were getting too close to his cars. And then he started to cry, and he picked it up, and he looked at it, and the first thing he did was like, you know, fix it. Fix, Dad. And I looked at it, and I was like, it was, one of these, it was a doozy. He stepped on it good. I'm like, I don't think I can, son. Why don't you play with your other cars? Give it back. He looks at it, and he's like, fix, Dad. I'm like, buddy, I told you. I, I, so I played with it for a few minutes. I'm like, I, this, this one's broken for sure. Like, it's, it's done. So I gave it back to him. I'm like, Zach, I, I just, go play with the other cards. You got the 25 other ones. One's not going to matter. And so 
He looked at it for a few seconds, heard mess with it, and he's just like, fixed, dad. I was like, man, now he's got me on the, I had to go get tools. <laughs> my one screwdriver and my little one pair of pliers. <laughs> After like 15 minutes of like holding my tongue the right way and actually praying a lot. <laughs> somehow those little wheels snapped right back out of the, the, the jam and like right into place and they even spun right. And, and the whole time, you know where my son was? He was sitting right by my side just waiting for dad to like fix his car. I'd be like, go play, go play. I'm waiting for my car. He didn't say that, but you know. And it was so obvious to him that I could do it. When I finally gave it back, I was looking at Ruth going like, I did it. I can't believe I did it. He's just like, thanks, Dad. I went, no, thank you. No, that was awesome. Just thanks, Dad. But what a picture for us. What a picture for what the, the church is here in prayer. The, the church is coming to God eagerly expecting that whatever's in their lives, whatever God has allowed into their lives, he's big enough to handle it and he is, he is sovereign enough to let it work out according to our good. Your God is much greater than my son's father when it comes to hearing and answering prayers. Those slides came up a little early, but let's go back to them, Tamara. My God is supreme, not small. This is a truth we just have to get out of this, this passage today. My God is supreme, not small. I think so often why we don't see great answers to prayers because we have God in this little box and we pray according to our own human logic to what we think he can do or wants to do. And so we never see a God of great answers to prayer like the New Testament because we have, our God is so small. And we pray fear-filled prayers instead of faith-fueled prayers. You ever find yourself there? Fearful prayers instead of faith-fueled prayers. We pray like God is weak when his strength is unparalleled. What about you in your own life? Do you pray? Do you pray like God is supreme and not small? Do you really believe that God is all-powerful and sovereign in your life? When things happen, do you stop praying because somehow it means that God is mean. He didn't do things the way that you expected he'd do or the way he wanted to do. Do you remember that when you call God and call to him and pray, you're, actually, you're not just getting the customer service rep on the other end of the line, you're actually getting the CEO of the company on the other end of the line that could do anything in, that, that you need him to do according to his plan? I think in our church, we have to get back to this big view of God. He is not small. He is big. We have to pray like God is massive and God can accomplish anything he wants to. You also have to know this. My God is capable, not incompetent. I think we pigeonhole God on far too many things in our culture. We, we decide what, what, what he can do and what he can't do. Like when we take our cars to the shop and sometimes the mechanic's like, I can't fix that or like, I don't know what to do. Take it to the expert. And so we just assume that probably God's going to be the same and yet when we come to God, God always sees correctly. He always has a solution and he always has a means to accomplish the task. He is competent with whichever job you send his way. If we go into prayer thinking that God's not competent to answer my prayer anyways, guess where your prayer life is going to go? Down the tubes fast. If you don't think God's competent to build this church and grow his people and save souls around us, then, then we've missed the whole power of what the scriptures say, that God is capable, not incompetent. What about this one? My God is faithful, not fickle. You don't see it explicitly in this passage, but when you hear someone saying that, man, this is a hard time, but God, we believe you've predestined this to take place. You know, you know what they're really saying, the early church, what we should be saying? God, we know you're a God of love. We know that you're a God who will always look out for us. We know that everything that happens in my life is for good and that you will be faithful even in this. When we pray, we can know that God is faithful. Even the prayers that we pray, that we're not sure if we're praying the right thing, you can know that God is going to be faithful to hear our prayers and answer them in the right way. It's amazing how most of this prayer has no requests in it. Notice that? Right at verse 29 from verse 23. There's no requests, but, but when we come to God in prayer, and we first set apart him as Lord and as absolute master, that just then changes everything about the requests that we pray. And it focuses our requests and defines our requests. And, and look at the requests that are prayed here. These are not to be lost upon us either. 
verse 29, because it causes his people, we see the greatness of God, the sovereignty of God, it causes his people to not pray for comfort, but to passionately pursue greater impact in our lives and through our lives from God himself. Verse 29 is actually the beginning of the request of the prayer. So often we relegate all of our prayer to request, but don't negate the worship side of prayer. Look at verse 29 now. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to their servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Will you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed this, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Notice, notice in this, prayers that will actually rattle the world around you for the glory of God are prayers that aren't for superficial comforts. They're prayers for spiritual resolve to live for Jesus and accomplish his mission with your life. Three specific requests. God, take notice. See that? And now, Lord, look upon their threats. That's all they said about the whole ordeal. They, did, they didn't stop saying, God, okay, I want to tell you, God, what just happened. God already knows that anyways, Right? So God, let me get, get you caught up in what's been happening in our lives in case you missed it. So the Sadducees, they're these mean guys. They, they didn't get into that. They're just like, God, just look upon your servants. God, like, notice their threats. Like, pay attention to us. They didn't spend time dialoguing about, here, God, here's what's happening. Here's what we think you need to do about this in the time frame that we've come up with. They're simply saying this, like, Dad, God, notice what's going on. Believing that if God sees their predicament, he's going to act in the right way, in the right with the right measure. It's equivalent to a little child being in the backyard and falling off the swing set and just yelling, Dad! Any good dad's going to come out and not need instructions on what to do. Correct? I think we spend a lot of time in our prayers, myself included, sometimes telling God all the details, explaining what we know should happen instead of just saying, God, and getting to the greater things of what God wants us to pray for. God, look upon their threats, believing that God's going to do exactly what he needs to do in the right time frame. Trusting he's going to do his thing. Then they said this, God, give us boldness. See this? Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. This is, this is a pretty profound prayer request, I think. Put myself in this scenario. You know what I'd be praying for? Hey, God, Sadducees, take them out. Big. They're not praying vengeance prayers. Hey God, like they're coming after us. Can you build us a big fortress here and keep us comfy and cozy, please? Maybe, maybe not let us have any more contact with anyone who's going to hate us. Can you do that, please? They're, they're not praying those types of prayers. What do they pray for? They pray for boldness. They pray. They're like, sweet man, like God is doing stuff. I don't want to see this stop. This is amazing, God. Give us boldness to step out of this place and continue to preach the gospel to those who need Jesus Christ. Give us courage. May you make us daring. May you make us bold for Jesus Christ. God, would you help us not shrink back in this time of opposition, but instead, when things get harder, God, just give us more courage to step out further for you. You want your prayers to have power and make a difference? That's, that's a great way to pray. God, give me boldness. When was the last time you prayed, God, give me boldness to be a, an, an example. Give me boldness, Lord, to preach Jesus in the workplace and in my neighborhood and to those around me. When was the last time you prayed those prayers? You want to see the fullness of God come alive in your life? This is a prayer to pray that God's not going to, that God's going to answer every time. He's not going to ignore the prayers of God's people to give us boldness to move the gospel forward. This is how the church went forward through prayers like this. This is how the people of God stood in such harsh times, harsher than ours. This is how God's people stood with a simple prayer of God, give me boldness. Can you imagine how your life would change if every day you woke up and said this prayer, God, give me boldness today to lead my family well, to love my neighbors, to preach the good news of Jesus? Can you imagine how your life and the world around you would be different? It's a prayer God's going to answer. Look, look, look what they say next. We'll just pray, give us boldness, but God, work in power. 
Give us boldness while you, they're expecting that he's going to keep doing what he's doing. They're expecting he's going to keep drawing people to himself. He's going to keep healing. He's going to keep with the signs and wonders that are performed in the name of Jesus. God, give us boldness. Give us a greater urgency for this life than the worldly things around us. Give us, give us an urgency for the kingdom of God. And God, would you keep doing what only you can in people's lives around us? They got something in the early church that I think we need to get again. They got the urgency of the gospel. That without the reality of Jesus Christ in our lives, without the, with, with the world around us, is, without Jesus is dying and missing out, and they're, go, they're going to hell for all of eternity. And so the prayers then don't become about personal comfort. They become about use me, whoever you see fit, that your glory might bring more into the kingdom through my life. I want to add these things to my prayer list every day. I hope you do too because because we miss out on these things and we miss out on all that God has for us. We miss out on life. I don't think it's wrong to pray for miracles. I think God still does miracles. We learned that a couple weeks ago. Uh, It's okay to ask for them. It's okay to expect them. But there's a greater miracle that God wants us to pray for. You know what the miracle is? Not not even that this room would shake like it happened here in the early church. that, That God would shake souls for his glory. That's the greatest miracle of all. Somebody who does not know Jesus Christ, who denies Jesus Christ, uh, someone who does maybe an atheist who does not believe in Jesus Christ, coming to saving faith in Jesus and being radically transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the greatest soul, earth-rattling reality that we can encounter today. And out of that, marriages being saved and, and addictions being broken and sin being done with and righteousness coming... This is the prayers that God honors, the prayers that really make an eternal difference. This is earth-shattering, earth-rattling prayers that God wants us to be about praying as a church here at Harvest Niagara. Our prayers can revolve around so many things these days. And think of your own prayer list at home. We pray for more of a lot of things, don't we? We pray for, for, for more provisions, more health, more ease, more comfort more family members. We pray for more of a lot of things and those things aren't bad to pray for. But there's a deeper, there's a deeper reality of what God wants us to pray. Not just for more money and more vacations and more blessing and more comfort. But, but, but here's some things that we can pray for in your prayer list. Put them on. More passion for Jesus Christ. More perseverance. More of the presence of God. More of people being changed forever. This ought to dominate our prayer lives more than the, the please do for me, God's Please do in our lives, God, this. We pray prayers like this, God is going to move. And when God moves, all he does through his moving is create in us a greater urgency to speak the word of God with boldness. See at the end there, he filled the room with the Holy Spirit. And we're all like, oh, this is amazing. Look at the whole room shook. High five, high five. The whole room shook. Someone get it on Twitter. The whole room shook. That's some... No, you know what they left going? They're like, wow, God was here. Let's, let's, let's go out and tell more people about Jesus. Let's get out there and, and continue on with the mission. Let's continue to speak with boldness. You get a sense from this passage that the prayer gatherings in the early church were quite different than what we become accustomed to in the church today, don't you? An eagerness, an expectancy, the I can't miss this. There's a one priority when we get together is to be with God's people praying. Uh, this, this sense of, 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 of God, we just want you to move. We want you to, to, to even show up on a Sunday morning and, and, and every person that walks in here, we want their, our souls to be rattled for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want people to be encountering Jesus in our workplace. We want people to be encountering Jesus in our places of leisure. The, the, we just want the glory of God to be shown. We, we want to spend our lives. We want to spend our lives on the mission of God for the glory of God. That's really what the prayers of an unstoppable church and audacious faith look like. Not so concerned about me, our culture, me, 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 me. God wants our prayers to be about Jesus, 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 Jesus. If you want to have a full and alive and powerful prayer life, It's all right here laid out for you. Why do I preach this with such passion? Because I want my life to look like this. I want your lives to look like this. Because if our lives look like this in the prayer area, just in the one thing, just in prayer, 
man, we wouldn't be able to contain all that God does in and through our lives. We wouldn't be able to contain the joy and the fulfillment and the, the power and the, and the vibrancy for the Lord. We wouldn't be able to contain that. We wouldn't be able to stop praying. As we were, are praying, God won't stop moving for his purposes. And this is his purpose for the church. It says in Isaiah that, that the church ought to be a house of prayer. Not even a house of worship, not even a house of preaching, but a house of prayer. Your house at home ought to be a house of prayer. Not just the fun gatherings, not just the pool parties and the barbecues, but a house of prayer. Because when we pray, God moves. I don't think there's a soul in here that wants to live a life without seeing the full power of God move in and through us for his glory. So let's get on this page. Let's pray. And let's pray like we've never prayed before. Prayers that make an eternal difference in those around us. Let me finish with this thought. Prayer that rocks the world for all of eternity is this. Not telling God what to do, but asking God to do his will in and through us for his namesake. Prayer that rocks the world for all of eternity is this, not telling God what to do, but asking God to do his will in us and through us for his namesake. Let me pray that this is the reality of our lives. So Father, we thank you this morning for this passage which so clearly shows us the path to your power and your presence. God, I pray that every person in this room would, would buy into your plan for their lives. That God, we wouldn't be people who get our fists up and want to fight through. We wouldn't be a people who, who want to flee and run the other way. But instead, oh God, we take the path that leads to you every time. The path on our knees, beckoning and calling out with urgency and expectation for you to come and meet us and to do in our church and in our lives uh, your perfect plan and to accomplish your mission through us. God, I pray that you'd renovate our prayer lives through this passage. God, I pray we wouldn't just hear a word and go home and not pray. God, if we're, if we're non-prayers today, if we're the quick lunchtime prayers and bedtime prayers, God, I pray you'd spur us on to be a people who pray, who long to see the fullness of your power alive in our lives. God, if we're the people who are praying, we're praying for all the wrong things. God, would you rearrange our prayer lives? Would it not be about me, God, but would it be about Jesus Christ, I pray? And about other people's salvation and souls that hang in the balance of heaven and hell and all of eternity. Give us your mind and your heart, God, as we pray. And God, for those here that are prayers and are actively seeking you in this way, God, would you just spur them on? Would you surround them with more prayers to pray with them and pray for them? Would you cause us, Lord, to be a people who literally see this being played out in our church? I believe, God, you still want to work in these ways today in your church as your people pray. Why don't we see, don't, why do we not see this? Often because your people aren't praying. Oh, God, would you cause us to be a people who are satisfied with nothing less than all of what you have for us? that can only be accomplished through the diligent and joyful but hard work of prayer. Make us, Lord, a people of prayer that we might see your face and know your presence and the mighty working of God in our lives, in our church. In Jesus' name, amen.